I know the shoulders crew is down there waiting for you, and you all are going to have a fantastic time. And today I want to start by saying, hey, thanks for being here and being a part of our service. If you're watching on Facebook, thanks for being in worship. Uh, I want to start with this disclaimer that I know we've entered into the summer months now, and so a lot of people are going to be traveling over the next several months, you know, you're here one week and then you're gone for a week or two. And, and so I just want to encourage you that while you're traveling, uh, to still be a part of the church family. That's why we live stream every Sunday, so that you can still be a part of it. So if you're going to be gone, I just make the effort to, to uh, log into Facebook on Sunday morning at 1030 and still worship with us even if you're not physically with us. And we're starting a new sermon series today, and it's going to take us... Uh, through the next several weeks uh, of the summer, called Asking for a Friend. And there's a couple of reasons why we're doing this series. Number one is I wanted to do a, a topical series in the, in the summer months so that if you were gone and you missed a week, it wasn't like, well, I came back and I don't under, I'm, I'm so far behind. Like, you'll be able to pick up wherever, wherever you're at uh, each week. But the second reason I want specifically to do this series is because I think a lot of times people ask questions, and when they don't get good answers to their questions, to, to legitimate questions and difficult questions, they just kind of get stuck in their faith. And it's usually the beginning of their, either their, their disassociation with God, disassociation with the church, maybe leaving faith altogether. And it's simply because they didn't get a real solid answer. And so this series is, is going to help us, I hope, to answer some difficult questions. Questions like, um, is Jesus really the only way to heaven? That's a legitimate question that people uh, around the world ask. Is Jesus the only, only way to heaven? We're going to talk about that. Or a popular question, um, especially among younger generations right now, is why can't I just do things the way I want to do them? Why can't I just live my life the way that I want to live my life? Maybe you've asked this question, why do bad things happen to good people? Anybody ever asked that question, why do bad things happen to good people? If you've ever asked any of those kind of questions, then this series is for you. And we're going to start with a question that I think is kind of the origin of all of those questions that, that a lot of people ask, and, and this is where I think a lot of people get stuck um, right away in their faith, is, and it's this question. Can I trust that the Bible is true? Can I trust that the Bible is true? Can, I, can you trust that it's true for you? Did you know that the best that we can count, there are today over 130 million books that have been published throughout the history of the world? And here's what we all know about books, right? That, that not all of them are reliable, that not every book is true, that not every book is even relevant to you. Let me give you two examples of, of this. Uh, these are two books that people have sent me over the years or I've picked up along the way. The, the first book is this. It's written by Dr. Alan Francis. Uh, this is actually the new release uh, for 2022. It's, it's the revised edition. It's called Everything Men Need to Know About Women. And I'll just tell you, I would encourage every man to go out and pick this book up. It's a, it's a really short read because on the inside, every page is blank. I mean, it's, it's not wrong, I'm just saying it's... So while that book was a joke, this book is not a joke, it's an actual book. It has over 2,600 reviews on Amazon. Uh, it's like four and a half star review too, and it's called Crafting with Cat Hair. 
And it is an actual book that is full of different crafts that you can do with the cat hair that your cat shed. And as I was showing this to Bobby this week, um, he made an astute observation. If you don't have a cat and... Well, you can use your husband or your, your dad's, whoever, you can use their back hair, and it works just the same. I know, it's gross. I, I thought the first was gross, the second's not even better. Uh, anyway, what makes the Bible different than those kind of books? What makes the, the Bible different? Because there are all kinds of books out there like that that, that we would consider untrue and and unreliable and just completely irrelevant what makes the bible different than that because that's what some of you have been told about the bible that it's not true that how could you believe something that is so old that how could this possibly be reliable it's old we have science now what what makes the bible different than any of those other kind of books did you know that in the united states there are 42 percent of people living in the united states are either neutral or or uh think that neutral or think that the Bible is unreliable. 42% of Americans think the Bible is unreliable or they're at least neutral. They don't believe that the Bible is, is accurate. And that could be you or maybe somebody you know because you had a professor in college who, who just slammed the Bible and said, well, the archaeological evidence doesn't match up. The historical evidence doesn't match up. The scientific evidence doesn't match up. Maybe you just had a family member and they just mowed down the Bible and they, and they just said, how can you believe that stuff? How can you believe made up ancient stories and that kind of stuff? And, and maybe you've just taken that because it was easier just to agree with them than to argue with them. It was easier to just let them think that they were right than try to explore for yourself why the Bible might be true. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at a couple of reasons why we can trust the Bible to be absolutely true. And the reason that's important, the reason that that is important is because of the claim that the Bible makes. The Bible claims to be true. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy in uh, chapter 3, verse 16 of his second letter. He says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let me take just a moment to explain a couple of things about this verse. When it says that the Bible or that Scripture is God-breathed, that's a compound Greek word that literally means to come from the lungs of God. It literally means that God breathed this book into existence. In other words, God, God breathed the inspiration for this book. This is literally God's word to us. If you've ever wondered, God, what, what are you trying to say to me? Anybody ever wondered that, what God is trying to say to me? You don't have to wonder. It's right here. He actually had people write down his thoughts for you so, so that we could read it ourselves. It is his word. It is God-breathed. Why is it God-breathed? Well, so that you might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Not just thoroughly equipped for, for one thing, but, but for thoroughly equipped for everything. That word there, it's a perfect tense word, so it means literally for everything, not just one thing. Can you imagine that happening in your life, that you were thoroughly equipped for every good work in your marriage, in your parenting, in your leadership at, at work, and in, in how you deal with pain and, and loss and suffering, being thoroughly equipped for, for every good work in your finances? This is the claim of Scripture, that it's true and that you can be thoroughly equipped for everything that you need to deal with in life. And so the question then is, do you believe that that's true? Do you believe that's true? Because if you don't, you'll never be transformed in your life. 
Let, let me just say it this way. You can't have a transforming faith without trusting the Bible. You can't. You cannot have a transforming faith without trusting the Bible because what you know about relationships is also true about the Bible. The moment that that trust breaks down in relationships, that relationship is over, isn't it? When, when you, all of a sudden, you can't trust your spouse anymore, you can't trust your partner, what, you can't trust them, that relationship is over. It might linger for a little while, but that relationship is over. And the same thing is true about the Bible. When you begin to, tr- to doubt the Bible, when I can't trust God's Word anymore, that's the beginning of getting stuck in your faith. It might be the beginning of leaving faith altogether. So we're going to look at the evidence today and we're going to answer the question, is the Bible true? And I'll just tell you up front, you can fact check anything I say today. You can Google it, Wikipedia, whatever, however you fact check it. Uh, in fact, I would encourage you to do so. And, and we're going to go head to head with some things that you might have heard in college or just in culture. And I'm going to give you four reasons why I think we can trust that the Bible is true. And, and I'll just tell you up front, I think there are more than, than four reasons, but this sermon is going to be long enough with just four, four reasons. And so I'm going to give you four reasons. And the first one is this, the historical accuracy that we see in the Bible. The, the, the historical accuracy that we see in the Bible is, is unparalleled. I, I want to read just a historical statement. And, and in your mind, just in your own mind, you see if there's anything wrong in this statement. You just le- see the statement and see if you see anything wrong with it. Here's the statement. One of the greatest technological breakthroughs happened in 1973 when Bill Gates started a company named Apple, whose headquarters was first located in New York City. Anybody see anything wrong with that statement? Yeah, a couple of you, a couple of you, you're like, yeah, there's something wrong. And uh, a couple of you are like, no, I don't really know. But, but there's, I think, more than just the obvious in this. Let me tell you, the first is this. I got the date wrong. It's not 17, 1973, it's 1976. And I got the person wrong because Bill Gates didn't start Apple. Who started Apple? Steve Jobs did. And it wasn't founded in New York City. Their, their headquarters was first located, anybody know? Yeah, in Cupertino, California. Here's my point from this example. Accurate and reliable history always gets dates and people and places right. And they're confirmed to be true. And here's the amazing fact about the Bible. That no historical book in the world covers more history than the Bible. None. It's not even close. In fact, the Bible is 66 books written over 1,500 years by 40 different people in three different languages on three different continents telling one story about Jesus. Now, with that much history that's covered. And, and like I said, there's no book that covers more history than this. The Bible covers thousands of events and places and rulers and kings and queens and rivers and mountains and countries and cities and coins. And we go on and on and on. What are the odds? What are the odds that the Bible would, that we would find at least one misrepresentation or inaccuracy in the Bible? What, what are the odds? We would say that's probably pretty good, isn't it? Did you know? That there's not been one, not one, historical or archaeological find that has ever proven that what the Bible says is not true. Not one. Not one. And people have tried. Uh, don't, don't get me wrong. People have tried. In fact, in the 19th century, one of the greatest critiques uh, of, of the Bible was to prove that the Bible wasn't true uh, was the, the nation of the Hittite people. The, the Bible in the Old Testament talks about this nation, uh, this massive group of people called the Hittites. In fact, 133 times in 76 verses they're mentioned. And critics would say, see, the, the, Bible, the Bible can't be true because there's not one historical fact that confirms that this group of people ever existed. Not one. 
In fact, Encyclopedia Britannica, that was kind of the gold standard of history at, at that time, you know, back before Google and Wikipedia and back before you could actually just look something up online, you had to actually open a book and, and do research. They, they kind of jabbed at the Bible in the 19th, 19th history. This is what they said. They said, we anxiously await any proof that the Hittites ever existed. Guess what archaeologists found in 1906? In the Middle East, they found a massive civilization, and they unearthed the people that were known as the Hittites. There have been over 25,000 archaeological digs and finds over the years that have all confirmed facts, figures, people, and places about the Bible. The archaeological evidence alone is so overwhelming that, that we could spend the entire series that we're going to the amount of time that we're going to spend in this series just talking about that. It's so overwhelming. There, there's a book out there called The Archaeological Bible, and it just shows all of these facts. Dr. Nelson Gluick, who's a Jewish archaeology expert, he said this. He said, it may be categorically stated that no archaeological di discovery has ever contradicted a biblical reference. Ever. The archaeological, the archaeological evidence is amazing. But listen to this. The Bible has more ancient copies closer to the original date completed than any other historical book in the history of the world. Don't, don't miss what's being said there, because I think that's important. We have more copies of the Bible than any other ancient book, any other ancient text out there, and they're all closer than to the copies that we have are all closer to the original date than any other book out there, any other text. Um, I got a nifty little chart I want to show you uh, that, that shows this. Because, like, for example, the works of Plato. We just all assume the works of Plato. You probably studied him in college. Maybe you, you read some of his, of his work. We all just assume that it's true, right? We, we take it. We don't, we don't question it. We, we believe Plato was a real person, that he wrote all this stuff. We just accept it as, as historical fact, right? Here's the deal. He completed his work in 350 B.C. We have seven, seven copies of his manuscripts. And those manuscripts were completed in 895, 1,250 years after his original completion. What about, uh, there's, but there's more. The, the Gallic Wars written by Julius Caesar. All Julius Caesar, we, we, we can believe to be complete fact, right? He wrote the Gallic Wars in 50 B.C., and we have 10 copies of them, 10. And they were all written 1,000 years after the fact. Tacitus, who was an amazing Roman historian, he wrote... Uh, in 117 AD and we have two of his manuscripts today and they're from 733 years after the fact and nobody questions any of these people like we all believe that they were that they're historically accurate that they live that it's true that all the stuff that they said we, we just accept well what about the New Testament it was completed in 95 AD and we have 5700 ancient documents and it grows every single year and these documents are found, have been found to be within 40 years of when it was written, which means that they are so close to when the original manuscripts were, were completed, when they actually happened. They were so close that if there were any untruths in, in, these, in these copies, they would have never lasted. These documents would have never lasted. And yet the Bible is the greatest selling book of all time for history. What would be the odds that out of all of these ancient documents that we have uh, about the Bible, that, that they would actually match the Bible that we have today over 2,000 years later. 
surely you've heard it that, that, that said, you know, it's just changed over time, or, or people just went back and rewrote things to make it match uh, today's world. You, you've probably heard that stuff, right? What would be the odds that, that it completely matched? I'll tell you, it's 99.5% completely the same. 99.5% completely the same. You say, well, what's the 0.5, right? What's the 0.5%? A couple of spelling errors, an and or a the uh, placed in a different location. But there's not one single thing, not one single thing in, in there, discrepancy, that would change a, a belief, a doctrine, a theology, not one. And that should give us unbelievable confidence, the historical accuracy that, that is in the Bible. There, there's not a book in the world, not one book in the world with the historical accuracy that the Bible has. But isn't that what you would expect if this really is the Word of God? The second reason you can trust the Bible is this, it's the scientific accuracy. Now, many of you have probably heard something like this, that the Bible and science don't match up, that they, they don't agree, they're not in alignment. You can't believe in the Bible if you believe in science. Well, I'm going to tell you, I, I, I think that's uh, it's not true. I, I don't believe that at all. I think you can believe in science and you can believe in the Bible. I think they are compatible. And here's why I think that. Um, scientists or science people, people that believe this, they'll tell you, well, the Bible is just irrelevant. The science doesn't match. It's irrelevant. But wouldn't we all agree probably that that there's nothing more irrelevant than an old science textbook? I mean, think about this. The, the science textbook that you used in elementary school is not the same science textbook that they use in elementary school today, is it? It's, it's, it's irrelevant, and you know why? Because the science keeps evolving, it keeps growing. There's new, there's new discoveries found, there's, new, there's all sorts of new things, there's new breakthroughs. And let me just give you an example that you're probably familiar with. In, in the 1800s, if you got sick, do you know what the greatest scientific and medical advice from doctors was? Yeah, it, it was to, to take a knife and cut a hole in your arm and let the blood out. To bloodletting. And that was the greatest scientific and medical advice of the day. You, you had to let the blood out and it would drain all of those impurities out, whatever was ailing you. I mean, th and, and they did this for years. I mean, it, it wasn't a new practice by the time it came to America. Um, we have proof uh, from the Greeks. The Greeks did this. Did you know the first president of the United States, George Washington, died from bloodletting in, in um, in December the 13th, 19, or 1799, George Washington woke up with a sore throat. And the next day, because this was the science, this was the medical advice, he was bloodlet. And so they cut his arm and they drained five to, between five and seven pints of blood from his body. And within 16 hours, he was dead. But that was the scientific advice at that time. Now, now think about the Bible. The greatest and oldest historical document that we have. What is the likelihood that there is something in this book that doesn't scientifically match up with what we have today? Let me, let me flip that question. If, if this really is the Word of God, what would be the likelihood that the Bible was way ahead of any scientific discoveries that scientists would discover in the future? And what's amazing is that's exactly what you find in the Bible. Let me give you two examples of this. The, the first one we know from history that all ancient civilizations believed that the, that the earth, that the world was held up by something. That it, it couldn't just float in the, world, in, in the solar system. We didn't know anything about a solar system. It couldn't, but it couldn't just float. There had to be something that held it up. And so the Greeks, they believed that the, the god Atlas, that he held it on his shoulders. That's, that's what they believed. The, the Hindus, we know from, 
from their documents, from their, <coughs> excuse me, from their ancient documents, that they believed that the earth was held up on the backs of giant elephants who stood on a giant sea turtle. And that's how they explained earthquakes. If, if that giant sea turtle got a little gamey that day, he would rock back and forth, and the elephants would rock back and forth, and that's what caused earthquakes. That's what they believed. Even the Egyptians, <coughs> the Egyptians, and listen, Moses, who wrote most of the Old Testament, who was raised in an Egyptian home, who attended the finest of the Egyptian colleges, all the Egyptians thought that the earth was held up by five pillars. What about the Bible? Wouldn't it be amazing if the Bible was just so far ahead of its time when it comes to science that before we ever knew that there was a solar system and the earth was held up by nothing, wouldn't it be amazing if that were in the Bible? Well, listen to what Job, the oldest book in the Bible, says. This is what Job says. He says, He, being God, spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. Let me ask a question. Why was Christianity or, or those who believed in Jehovah God, why were they the only ones that got it right? right? All the other ancient civilizations, they believed in something else that has been scientifically proven to not be true. And yet, Job, the oldest book in the Old Testament, said from the very beginning, the earth, God suspended the earth over nothing. Let me give you one more evidence from science that I think will blow you away. And, and, and I, I'm going to use this example, and I'm not using it to be crass, so please don't think that, but it's the evidence of circumcision. Now, some of you immediately get uncomfortable when, when I, I say that, and that's okay, but, but I think this will be mind-blowing to you. Guys, I know you are immediately uncomfortable. And let me just talk to you for a minute about this. Imagine living 2,000 years ago, and someone says to you, hey, we're going to go get you circumcised. Immediately, you're like, no, I don't think so, right? Because there's no medical, there's no medical technology, there's no medical clean rooms, there's no disinfectants, there's no sort of any kind of painkillers that would work well, there's, there's no sharp surgical knives. Just imagine all of the things that could go wrong. And, I, and again, I'm not trying to be crass, but there are a lot of things that could go wrong. And yet God gives us the very first mention in the world of circumcision. Before anyone knew what it was, God commands the Israelites to be set apart from the other nations around them. And I'm just going to read you the exact command from God to the Israelites. It's found in Genesis chapter 17, verse 12. It's what it says. It says, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised. Why eight days? Why not two days or five days or why not three years old, right? This is so incredible. Medical science, we just discovered this in the 1930s, is that when you're cut... You, you need for your blood to clot, for your body to heal properly, you need a certain protein. And that protein is called prothrombin, And it develops in your liver and it requires a lot of vitamin K. And without a healthy dose of prothrombin and vitamin K, your blood, won't, your blood won't clot and you'll get cut and you'll just bleed out and you'll die. And what scientists discovered in the 1930s is that there is one day in the life of a male that they have a higher, uh, higher peak of prothrombin and vitamin K than any other day in their life. One day. Anybody want to guess what day it is? Day eight of their life. Now, now, how would a book written 3,500 years ago know that to be scientific fact? There's no possible way unless God breathed this book. And for some of you, that's it. That's all you need to know. It's like, why do you believe the Bible? Well, eight-day circumcision. That, that's, that's the answer right there. Because how could the Bible be so far ahead of science, right? I love what Johannes Kepler said about it. He said, science is simply thinking God's thoughts after him. 
Science is simply thinking God's thoughts after him. Because that's what you find in Scripture. There's not one, not one scientific instance in Scripture that would be disproved today. But what we find consistently in the Bible is the Bible being ahead of science. It's, it's always ahead of science. It's ahead of the scientific discoveries. And I think that should give a lot of us extreme confidence in trusting the Bible. But there's a third reason why you, sh- you can trust the Bible that is true. And it's the prophetic accuracy. The, the prophetic accuracy. You have to understand that the Bible sets its, itself up for failure uh, with the number of prophecies that it makes about the future. Did you know there are over a thousand prophecies in, in Scripture? That there are 300 in the Old Testament about Jesus alone? There, there are prophecies about where Jesus would be born. There are prophecies about how Jesus would be killed before that uh, way of execution was even invented. There are prophecies about how long Jesus would stay in the grave. There, there are all of these kind of prophecies. There are prophecies about how he would be betrayed. Think about the amount of failure that could happen with, the many, with that many prophecies about one person. The, the critics uh, of the Bible, their critique about all of the prophecies about Jesus coming true, I think is, a, is very valid. They said, sure, he was born in, 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 in Bethlehem. And, you know, after he was born and after he was killed, all his followers, they just went back to the Old Testament and they wrote in, he, he'll be born in Bethlehem. And it's like, oh, he was born in Bethlehem. It came true, right? How weird. That's a, that's a valid critique. Up until the year 1947, with arguably the greatest archaeological find ever, the Dead Sea Scrolls. What happened with the Dead Sea Scrolls is that is we found, found the oldest, the oldest Old Testament ancient documents in existence today. And scientists, not Christian scientists, but just scientists, carbon dated many of these documents to 300 years before Christ was born. So do you realize what that means? That if a document with a prophecy about Jesus is carbon dated 300 years before Jesus ever lived on this world, and it came true, means that nobody wrote it in, means Jesus just fulfilled that prophecy. And with the Dead Sea Scrolls, that's exactly what we find. With the Dead Sea Scrolls, we have over 15,000 documents in some form, many fragmented, but over 15,000 documents. And guess how many of them match what we find in our Bibles today? 99.9% accuracy thousands of years later. That's incredible. But here's what I love most about the Dead Sea Scrolls. Is is in the scrolls that they found, they found one that is the most complete, the longest portion of the Old Testament that has ever been found, and it's the book of Isaiah. In fact, you can go to Israel, and in the Museum of Israel, they have it on display. It's massive. And so you can go and you can look at it and see it today. But here's the really cool part. Anybody want to guess which book in the Old Testament contains the most prophecies about Jesus? Yeah, it's the book of Isaiah. I think that's so cool. I think that's God just kind of like winking at you saying, hey, I got you. You, you don't believe that what has been prophesied about my son is true. You think they just made it up and wrote it in it. Let me prove it to you by having carbon dated documents 300 years before my son ever walked on this earth. I'm telling you, the Bible is true. It's the word of God. And we should expect nothing less if we really believe this to be the word of God, right? Many years ago, Pete Stoner, who was the head of the mathematics department at Pasadena College, he calculated what the odds that Jesus would be able to fulfill not 300 prophecies, just eight of the prophecies that were made about him. What would the odds be? And, and he was, and so he, he did all the math, and here's a mathematician's calculations on that. He said for them to, to fulfill eight, not 308, it would be one and one with 17 zeros behind it. In a quadrillion. One in quadrillion that Jesus could fulfill eight prophecies. In other words, it's impossible 
Lee Strobel illustrated the, these odds this way. He said, if you take uh, the state of Texas, the entire state of Texas, and you take quarters or silver dollar coins, and you stack them across every square inch of the state of Texas, every, you know, there's no ground uncovered, they're all covered by silver coins, and you stack them two feet deep, and on one of those coins, you take a little red dot and you mark it. And then you take and you bury that coin amongst all of the coins across the state of Texas. And then you take one person and you blindfold them. And you can even spin them around if you want. You blindfold them and you send them into the state of Texas and you say, pick one coin. The odds of them picking that one coin with that red dot are the same odds as Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies. And yet Jesus didn't fulfill eight prophecies. He did exponentially better than that. He fulfilled 300. The historical and the scientific and the prophetic evidence is overwhelming that the Bible is true. I love what it says in 2 Peter 1.21. It says, For prophecy never had its origin in human, in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as if, though, if, if they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, God's Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, through inspiration, work through men to capture what we have in the Bible today. It is true, and you can trust it, and the evidence is overwhelming. That doesn't help some of you, does it? Because you have unanswered questions that have plagued you for a long time, and your questions have nothing to do with the evidence that is in the Bible that proves that it's true. Your question has something to do with what the Bible says, and you don't want it to be true. It could be something that maybe the Bible says is a sin and that's wrong and, and you want to keep doing that sin. You want to keep living in that lifestyle. Or maybe you have a family member who is doing that and, and you just don't want to believe that this is true. And so what have you done? You've just thrown the, the baby out with the bathwater. You've thrown the whole thing out because it says something that you don't want to live by, that you don't want to abide by. I like what Mark Twain said. He said, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that disturbs me. It's the parts of the Bible that I do understand that disturbs me. I think that's true for a whole lot of people. I like how G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton said it. He said, the Christian ideal has not, been has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. And here's the thing for some of you. Even if I answered every single question that you ever had about the Bible today, it wouldn't help you out. It wouldn't. And the reason why is because you want to live your life your way. You don't want God to weigh in at all. You don't want to have, for the Bible to have any authority in how you live your life. And that's the issue. And, and if that's you, then the question I have for you is simply this. How's it going? How's it going? How is, how is life going for you, living your life as if God doesn't exist, as if the Bible isn't true, as if God has no authority or say in how you live? How is that going for you? You want to get stuck in life? You want to live life where you feel like you're just constantly falling behind, where you're never making any progress? Then you live your life like the Bible is irrelevant and untrue when all the evidence points otherwise. But to me, I'll tell you, the greatest evidence that the Bible is true, it isn't actually the historical, the scientific, or even the prophetic evidence. It's the personal evidence. It's the personal evidence. It's the evidence that I've seen in my own life. It's, it's the evidence that I've seen in literally the life of, of hundreds of other people who are trying to live their life according to this book. You know what many people don't argue with? They'll argue with, with history and they'll argue with science and they'll argue with the prophecies. But you know what people don't argue with for the most part? Transformed lives. They don't argue with transformed lives. You, you can't argue with that. And, and I'm not talking about people who are, who are just trying to take this book and manipulate it and make it 
how they want to. I'm talking about people who are actually trying to live their life by this book. People who have been transformed by, by this book. People who are living the way, trying to live the way that Jesus did, the way that he loved and the way that he served and the way, just the way that he lived. And I think that ought to be evidence enough for us because you see it in people all around you. You see it in, in, in the men and women who, who have joy, but they should have no joy. Life has not been good to them, and they have no joy, but yet they have, or they should have no joy, but they do. You see it in, in single moms who, who shouldn't have peace, but yet they do. You see it in, in marriages that are thriving because they're living according to the Scriptures, and you just want to ignore it. See, I'll tell you, this book has changed my life profoundly. It's made me a better husband. It's made me a better dad. It's made me just a better human being. The, the Bible has changed me, and, and, and I think the, the personal evidence ought to compel you that a life aligned with God's Word, a life that's lived aligned to God's Word, is a life that is thriving. Hebrews 4.12 says this, says, For the Word of God is alive and active. In other words, it's not ancient. It's, it's not just an old historic relic. It, it's, it's designed for today. It's designed for you, wherever you're at. It's real. It, it, it pierces through your soul. It, it gets in your thoughts. And I'll tell you this, I have never met one person, not one, who's ever said, you know, I, I, I tried to live life by the Bible, and it just, I just regret it. I've never met one person who ever regretted living their life according to Scriptures. Because God's Word is true. It's an instruction manual for your life and to try to live life outside of the instructions that God gave for you because He created you will cause you to get stuck in your faith. You will have a breakdown. And you can keep trying to do it on your own. You can. Or you can finally just submit and surrender to the truth of God's Word. And that's what I want to challenge you to do today because I really believe that a Bible that, a Bible that is falling apart usually doesn't belong to someone who is. Right? A Bible that's falling apart usually doesn't belong to a person that is falling apart. I don't want you to get stuck in your faith. I want you to have confidence in, in the Bible. And, and when you have confidence in it, you'll embrace it. You'll, you'll engage with it. And that's what I want you to do. So, so I've got a real simple challenge for you uh, to, to start over the next couple of weeks. And the challenge is this. Is I'm going to challenge you to re-engage with this book. Um, maybe you've been away for it a while, maybe you just got complacent, I get it, like we're busy and, and like everybody knows we should read our Bibles every day, but life happens, right? And so sometimes we just, we get too busy to, to do it. So I just want to, I want to challenge you to re-engage with this book and here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to take out your phones, most everybody has a smartphone, I want you to take out your phones and I want you to download, if you haven't already downloaded the Bible app. It's the version app. And I'll tell you, it's, I think it's the best Bible app out there. It's got literally hundreds of different translations. It's got all kinds of reading plans that will help guide you through reading the Bible. And I want to challenge you to do a 21-day challenge with it. It takes 21 days to create a habit. That's what they tell us, right? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to download the Bible, the Bible app. And I want you to pick a Bible plan, preferably from James or John in the New Testament. And the reason I'm telling you those two books is because they're easy to get through. James is five chapters, John is 21 chapters. And then the second thing I want you to do is I want you to choose to read every day for 15 minutes a day. 15 minutes. I, I know we're all busy and life gets in the way, but I think we can all find 15 minutes a day to, to, to read. And, and here's what I want you I want you to pick the same place in the same location and just do 15 minutes a day. And, and that'll help you get through basically about a chapter. Um, a couple of, of basketball seasons, seasons ago, my goal was to, uh, to get through the Bible during basketball season, to read through, it in, through basketball season. But what I found was that 
basketball season's a crazy time for me, and so I, you know, I work, you work, and then you gotta, you gotta leave early, and you get home late, and, and here's the thing, the Bible app, the great thing about the Bible app is it will read to you, and so I decided on my ways to basketball games and on my way home from basketball games that I was going to, to go through the Bible that way, and I was just gonna put a, pull up my Bluetooth on my, on my vehicle, turn, turn the Bible app on my phone, and hit play. And in one basketball season, I was able to make it from Genesis to Revelation through the book, through the entire Bible, just by letting the Bible app read it to me. But I want you to choose the same time and same location every day. And in doing this for 21 days, you'll create a habit and you'll get into a routine and the word of God will begin to transform your life. And here's how it will transform your life, because you're going to read a chapter. And from that chapter, do number three, just pick one verse. One verse, don't try to take everything in it, okay? Uh, I know that's the, the common thing. We, we read it and we've got to do this and do this and do this. Just take one verse. Just take one verse from that chapter that you read that you feel like maybe God is speaking to you through. And then, here's the key, apply it. Apply it to your life. Because here's the thing, application without information does not lead to transformation. Application, or with information, excuse me, information without application doesn't lead to transformation. If you want the information you're consuming to transform your life, you have to apply it. You can't just wake up and read this book and expect transformation to, to happen overnight. You've got to start putting it into practice. And so here's the thing. I think if you'll do these four things, download the Bible app, pick a plan, read every day for 15 minutes, pick one verse and apply it. If you'll do these four things, I think you'll start to see your life transformed and to be changed because God's word is true. And it was designed for you, for it to be transforming. And for it to be transforming in your life, you need to be confident that it's true. And there's an unbelievable amount, overwhelming amount of evidence that says that the Bible is true. But you don't have to take my word for it. You can look up any of the things I've told you today. Just study for yourself. And you'll find that the Bible, the Word of God, is exactly what Paul said it was. It is trustworthy. And it is God-breathed. It's true. And we live our lives based on the foundations found in this, in this book. Let me pray for you.